my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you can have your Bible open in front of you, we enjoy, or rather we're taking a breather, uh, because things were getting pretty heated and difficult in the run-up to chapter 9. And then verse, uh, chapter 10 and a little bit of verse uh, chapter 11 are this kind of interlude, this kind of pause in this revelation that John is experiencing and seeing. And actually, in this, uh, in this chapter, in the next chapter, very much John is a participant. So far, he's been very much a viewer. You know, he's written down some letters, but everything else has been something that's happened to him. And now he becomes a participant. Uh, and we have uh, some things to look at about how that might shape perhaps the way we think of our place in the world and how we, uh, we live with that, knowing that heaven is coming. Uh, and heaven, we see, is united towards God's purposes. Uh, let's have a quick look at this angel. This is an- another angel. It's not the strong angel of a couple of chapters ago. It's yet another one. And he's presented with lots of Old Testament imagery Uh, of God's uh, power and strength and presence. Uh, He was robed in clouds and pictures. If you think about the cloud that led uh, the exodus or or the the rainbow of the the promises of God uh, in in, uh, Genesis, that he's like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. And there's a great deal of heavenly attributes towards him. A lot of what he looks like appears to be God, and yet it is not He is not God himself, neither is he Christ himself. Um, We see that he's got uh, this scroll laying open in his hand. It might be, it certainly is similar to the scroll in chapter 5, but we don't think it's the same scroll, but it has similar properties and qualities, which we'll come to later. But this angel comes from heaven, And he has one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. He has universal authority, if you think about it. Earth, heaven, and sea. He encompasses them all. He's from them all, and he's got something to do with them all. Uh, He's a very powerful uh, angel. He speaks with a mighty roar, which perhaps provokes uh, John, as he writes this, to think about the roar of the lion in uh, Hosea uh, chapter 11, speaking with a mighty roar. He says of an incredible qualities of God and God's purposes and God's creation around him. He is infused with them. He is covered with them. And there's a sort of a sense in which heaven itself is in line, is, is is, is in going in the same direction, is in synergy with the purposes of God. It's not as though God has got some stuff going on and the people or the angels and, and the martyrs have nothing to do with it. It's as though they, they are, it, it infills and covers everything God does. We talk about his common grace, don't we? Uh, but here there's this common glory that what God is doing is covering everything that everyone who is to do with him And then we read that this uh, angel speaks. We don't know, actually, just just verse 4. We have no idea what the seven thunders are. We don't know what they are. 
Um, and actually, what's interesting about them is that we're not to know what they are, and that whatever they were saying, whatever John heard, is, wasn't even to be written down. And that reminds us that there are some things beyond us. There are some things beyond us that, that that's not for us now. And that helps us with books like this, because you know where sometimes we've said that uh, John has written that a third of the seas and... Uh, and the seven thunders, whatever they are, because we don't know, and we don't know what they said in response to the angel, it's something outside our ken. It's not really something for us to worry about, but it does tell us that there are things yet to come. A lot of revelation is happening, but there's, there is more to come, and that's important to do that, to have that in mind. And the angel says there will be no more delay at the end of verse 6. And it's, it's interesting, it just touches on that, that, just that tension of now and not yet. The thunders, whatever they know, isn't for now, and yet the delay is over. And John is clever with his language, but he's used the word chronos here, which is for time. Kairos is the, is the word for opportunity or an appointment, a distinct event. But he's used the word chronos here. But chronos can also be used to talk about a delay. And the delay is over. But the delay is finished, if you like, when the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet. And then the mystery of God will come. So there's this sense in which heaven is really gearing up. And yet at the same time, it's still a little bit far, it's a little bit off in the distant. There's more to it. The trumpets tell us that we're, we're, we're not facing some, uh, Ian Paul put it like this, um, we're not facing a fearful future apocalyptic disaster. Okay? But this is an apocalyptic interpretation of the fearful, disastrous present. Yes? So we're getting it, we're not saying, there's not this tremendous, terrifying event yet to come, but this is an apocalyptic way of looking at what, God is, what is going on from God's perspective. And it's about interpreting these times, which is why the, trump, the thunders are important. Because there's more to come, but we're already in it. The thunders don't announce the beginning, they announce the, last, the end. So that's, that's important. And I think at this stage, when we're just thinking about ourselves, when we read material like this, when we read ancient texts uh, that remind us that this is, a way of, this is John's way of explaining the world that they were in. It was, a, you know, it was dominated by the Roman Empire. It was uh, littered with earthquakes around the time that he was writing. And it was a difficult time to live. And people needed to understand, as we do now, what, actually nobody knows what's going on now. Um, but... <laughs> But we need, they needed to know what was going on. And sometimes we do. We live in a different kind. It's not always easy, is it? It's not always, do you dare pick up a newspaper at the moment? Do we want even to listen to the news? Because it's discomforting. It reminds us that things are fragile. And it reminds us that there are things going on that we just don't want to have to deal with. There are things going on in the world that we have got no handle on. You see, there's all of us, but perhaps particularly Christians, we can come into this idea 
we have this idea that um, we've got a sphere of influence, haven't we? That people and family and colleagues and, and so forth, people that we know and the people that maybe that they know that we can Im impact. But that's where it stops. <laughs> There's another sphere of what we'd like to go on, but we know we can't deal with and we can't change. And I think a passage like this reminds us that there are things going on that we can't change. And our gut instinct is to want to change them. But this, that's not what's going on here. John is thrown from the throne room into this revelation. He's brought into it, isn't he? Take the scroll. He's, he's, he's brought into it. And we're to, we're to enter into that as well. But it takes, it takes some guts sometimes. But that's a reality. For That is life. That is life. That's the state the world is in. It's not heading where we want. And we could sit around and pray for ages for change, or we could just sit and we could just say, Lord, whatever's going on, I want to stick by you because I know you're good. That's, that's the essence of our faith, isn't it? Um, Peterson describes it as long obedience in the same direction. We just keep going. But one of the things we need to do is acknowledge, I can't change some of these things. Because, and the point, and the good news is, if you're worrying about what's the message, the good news is, it, it is God's plan that we can't change. It is his business, it is his purposes that are going on here. And we don't always understand them. But, but this is his purposes that are being revealed to mankind. Paul daringly opens Romans with the wrath of God is being revealed to mankind. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> I'm going to cling to God, aren't I? I'm going to hold on even tighter. So there are things going on in this passage which, which John sees, which we can do nothing about except hold on and say, God, I just want to put my trust in the Rings trilogy. And, and there's a terrifying big battle at the end of the third enormous film. Um, it, it's a challenge to stay awake through the lot. But it's worth it. <laughs> and at the end, the whole armies of the enemy are gathered at the foot of at the gates of the city. And there's one wizard and there's one tiny little hobbit. And the hobbit says to Gandalf, who's this great wise wizard, he says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path one that we must all take. The great grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. What, Gandalf, see what? White shores, and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Well, that isn't so bad. No, no, it isn't. And I think sometimes we need that comfort. We need to have that kind of relationship with God. And it's sometimes difficult to pick out of the Psalms because we get our heads into it too much and just remind ourselves that God is with us and there's something ahead. And that's part of God's purposes. Gandalf is no substitute for Jesus, by the way. Absolutely not. It's just, just a really good reflection on some of the ideas. Bringing in God's purposes and starting to color in and shade and fill in those things. And that should give us some hope, although it doesn't look good from where we're sometimes sitting. And it certainly doesn't look good for some of the places around the world that we're going to pray about uh, later. But really interestingly, 
And God's people are tied closely to his purposes too. The voice from heaven that he had heard, verse 8, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. John is to approach this great figure who holds a scroll which holds the mysteries of God, the will of God, or at least a part of it. And he's encouraged to come forward and take it. Reminds us that God is tied to his people and invites them to come and see what he is doing, to be part of it, to to be shaped by it, and, and to allow it to be something that he will work in, to allow ourselves to be people that he will work in. And that's quite tough, you know. Yesterday at the sports club I go to, somebody had done a couple of things, and they started swearing and muttering under their breath. And then they were like, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I said, you know what, you, know, you can't do that around me. I, don't, I just don't like it. But my gut instinct was, when will he stop? Because I don't want to have this confrontation. But in the end, he did. But actually, our instinct is to seek that place of safety rather than actually be the person who says, you know what, something in us should stir in the world around us when it's not what it should be. And so I stirred for a change and had a word. And John is invited into these, uh, this this, this, this scenario, to, to eat this scroll. And it reminds us of the scroll in Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 2, he's given a scroll. Um, but you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Don't rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Uh, and verse 9, then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. And on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And so John has to pick up this same sort of scroll and he's warned by this great angel that it will be sweet and bitter. And it will turn, it will taste sweet in your mouth, but it will taste bitter in your stomach. And there's this sense of the two things are being balanced. It's very strong on Old Testament lit, um, imagery. And the sweetness is the hope and repentance of salvation that comes with a message from God. Yet he may change his mind. Wasn't that the response of Nineveh to Jonah? Of repentance and hope and deliverance is bitter as well. The sweetness comes with the bitterness of knowing that you're in trouble. That judgment awaits. And actually, if you've turned to the Lord, you've repented and you're following him, there's the bitterness of trial and tribulation as well. Just going through it. But the important thing is that God has joined, asked asked John to be part of it. He's tying his people to be prophetic to the world. And that's important, isn't it? John ended his gospel with saying, these signs are given that you might believe and find salvation. That's the end of John chapter 20. These things are written that you might believe and be saved. And this book is written that you might be blessed and helped through this time. And what the, God, what the angel tells him is to go and prophesy to the world around him, to, to take that sweetness and that bitterness, that sweet, bitter message, to people who need to hear it. I'm nearly finished. On Friday, <laughs> on Friday I went for a coffee with one of my dearest friends. And he was uh, reading uh, something to me about Billy Graham. 
And he said, you know, Matt, when will somebody, when will God raise another Billy Graham? When, when will that happen? And I said, oh, you know what, I confess, I don't know. I don't know if God's going to do that again. I think, I think people like Billy Graham were fantastic. I went to a mission in England. I've preached in a pulpit that Billy Graham used. Yeah? But I wonder, actually, if what God really wants is his people to take the message. I think that's actually what we're called to be. That we've inherited these words from John. We've got this text from John. We've got the gospel from John. And John wasn't given the job to do the whole world, was he? Or was he to give the message to the world through the people? And I think that just calls us, doesn't it, to sometimes be, okay, Lord, right, I'm, what's that song that we sometimes sing? Spirit of the living God, fall on someone else. <laughs> we're not to sing that. We're to, we're, to, we're to be the people, okay, come, Lord, and... and, and Use me in the place I am to be the people that I am for the purposes you've made me. Shall we pray?